This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today my guest is Sean Phillips, a Christian author, speaker, coach, and pioneer. Sean's first book is Flappy and Whiskers Go to the Park, which was published back in August of 2021, 10 years after writing it for his two young daughters. And through the experience of getting that book published, Sean has uncovered a passion for helping others unlock their untold stories and share them with the world through books, videos, podcasts, and live performances. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Sean. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Well, great to have you here, Sean. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody uh, who sits, I almost said sits in that seat, but it looks like you're standing. Uh, Sean, where does your story I'm, I'm, begin? I'm sitting, yeah, I'm sitting. <laughs> okay. Where does your story begin, Sean? I actually, yeah, I can, so I can see you ask that question. It's a really good one. And I think for me, um, I mean, I, I can't actually really remember my, my parents reading me stories, but actually, of course, I'm sure my, I'm sure they did read me stories when I was young because that's, I think, where it comes from. I'm actually reading reading stories. And um, I, my nephew um, was like the first of my my uh, parents' grandchildren when he was found five. Um, I used to read stories from probably when he was younger. And I used to really enjoy it. And I started finding myself doing the voices. And, and that was something that, that I was really keen on when I had my own children. I thought, oh, I'd love to be able to read them stories. And I've actually got a book here, Winnie the, we've got the Winnie the Pooh, like the whole sort of, sort of the whole lot of the Winnie the Pooh stories. And I read all of them to my eldest daughter, who's now uh, 17, when she was a baby. So she won't even remember. But, you know, it's one of those things I have that passion for. And I think that's really what's taken me on this journey is wanting to not just share the stories, but yeah, yeah, perform them to actually um, help people to enjoy the storytelling aspect as well as the as well as the actual story itself. Yeah, you know, you say you know your daughter may not remember, but I've had so many people who I've interviewed tell me, you know, when I ask them, hey, where does your story begin? Sometimes people say, you know what, I just remember, you know, my grandmother or whoever kind of reading to me when I was young to put me to bed. Um, now, do they remember when they were babies? I don't know. But there's something I think that get, gets lodged in our sort of subconscious about 
the stories we were told when we were younger. So you never know. She might she might remember all those Winnie the Pooh stories with Christopher Robin and Tigger and Eeyore. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, actually, um, it's just you say that because there was uh, there was one occasion where they'd gone past the age of wanting to me to read them stories. And randomly one evening they said, oh, daddy, could you, could you read us some Winnie the Pooh? So, so it was something we did carry on as well reading. But it was just interesting that randomly they were like, oh, yeah, we want to hear a story, which was actually a really nice thing because you go for that phase as a parent where you you get to enjoy uh, reading stories to your children. And then they get to the point they want to read the stories to you and then they're off to doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my, we have triplets, they are, they just turned 20 back in, in April. And I remember, you know, nighttime rituals was always me reading stories to two of them. One of them had no interest and just wanted me to, you know, just kiss her goodnight. The other two, you know, wanted, my son wanted stories all night long. He just, just wanted to hear his favorites. And then my daughter always wanted me to make up stories. Like she always wanted me. She's like, I don't want to, I don't want anything that, you know, I've heard before, just make up a story. So I'd tell her stories, you know, that she thought were true stories. And then she was very disappointed when she, when she realized that I made them all up, but um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, those, those nighttime rituals, but that that's, that's cute that they, they wanted, uh, you know, you know, you wanted you to, to, to kind of take a walk down memory lane with that Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Well, actually, and then, it's interesting as well. You've you kind of you sort of uh, went on something else about them making up a stories, and actually, uh, there is a future flapping whiskers story where um, when they were younger, we start we took turns in making something up. Um, I haven't quite put it all together yet because some of it is a little bizarre because you know it was I think one of them was about two at the time, but we I'd read I'd sort of make up a bit, then the older one would make up a bit, and the younger one would make up a bit, and then so I've got the and I, I recorded them, recorded saying it, and then transcribed it. So there is a there will in the future be some elements of a story that actually we, we collaborated on just, you know, from even when they were from a young age. Oh, that's really cool. It's almost like an improvisation at that point, right? Where it's like, it's like an yeah. improv game almost. Yeah. And that's great. That's great. Well, tell me, tell me the backstory on Flappy and Whiskers go to the park. And, and, you know, it sounds like there was a 10 year um, sort of gap between, you know, writing it and then having it published. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh yeah. So, um, so I did, um, I did some NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. I did some courses, um, yeah, around sort of 2009, 2010, and um, a lot of what was in there was was actually the use of of using language to um, for teaching for education. So uh, educating children on um, sharing and good values and friendship. And so I really had this heart for actually wanting to be able to go. How do I help my children? Can I can I actually come up with some stories that actually are not um, really overtly teaching them about something, but it's something they can read and enjoy, but it's also actually, it is teaching them, but it's done in a, in a fun way. So that's that's the, how Flapping Whiskers, this sort of idea uh, initially came about. And I did some really very bad illustrations <laughs> myself. I tried <laughs> myself and, you know, they weren't, they weren't particularly good, but, um, but yeah, then I, then I started developing the story and the idea was that I would get it published for them at Christmas. And so that Christmas, I thought I'll get it in a book and, um, Unfortunately, uh, things didn't work out that way. Uh, myself and my 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 uh, wife at the time we split up, and so yeah, my life changed at that changed at that point, and so kind of flapping whiskers kind of you know fell by the wayside. It was it wasn't it became from being something that was obviously sort of a high priority to a lower priority, and and something I suppose really I'd lost confidence with, and I'd sort of buried it, and I thought well actually it was maybe something I might do in the future, but there was no real kind of um, yeah 
desire or even kind of confidence that I could do that. And then sort of, um, yeah, and then, then wanting it on sort of 10 years, I actually, um, I was involved in this, uh, came across this group called Life on Fire, which uh, it's an entrepreneur for Christian entrepreneurs. And um, I went through this course. And uh, outside of that, there's this authors group that popped up, just a group of authors that were doing the course. And we're like, oh, hey, you know, we'll, we'll get together and we'll have a little messenger group in Facebook. And, uh, and then I felt, uh, I felt God nudge me and go, oh, you, you should share um, that the, the video. I did a video back in 2010 of Flapping Whiskers, me reading it. And I, and I yeah, posted it on YouTube and Facebook. And I got, you know, I got some, uh, some good feedback. So then there's God was saying, yeah, post that video from 10 years ago. It's like, oh. Why would I do that? I'm not sure if I want to do that. So I didn't do anything about it. And then probably maybe a few days or a week later, I felt a little nudge again to share it. And I thought, okay, fine. So I, I shared it on there and, um, and I got some great feedback. And actually somebody said to me, oh yeah, all you need to do is get it illustrated and formatted and off you go. And it just, it was kind of like a little switch went in my head that somebody would kind of almost given me permission to say, hey, you know, or, or in that encouragement to say, you can do this. And so that was the sort of journey of going, right, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do that and actually get some proper illustrations and something that people would actually uh, enjoy. So how did you go about finding your illustrator? Did you, did you contract with a publishing company first? Did you, did you have an agent or did you do this kind of pretty much all on your own? Well, uh, yeah, pretty much all on my own. So, um, I mean, I've got a different, I've got different friends that have taken different journeys in their publishing and, um, but I actually, I like to learn. I'm a very practical uh, learner. So I like to do things and, and say, well, if I can sort of take, or not necessarily the hardest route, but certainly the, the, the route that's going to take the most amount of work, not deliberately, but in this case, I wanted to learn what is this self-publishing about because I knew people that had actually done it. So um, so my first point with the illustrations was, uh, was going to a website called upwork.com. Mm -hmm. Sure. Which I've, I've used through my career in various, doing various, all sorts of different freelancers for different types of work. And so that was the, um, that was the first place to go. And actually I was looking for a particular um, illustrator because I'd seen a book of hers um, that I really loved, but she wasn't available at the time. But I found this, um, this Russian lady, um, Eleanor, and she was her very first time doing anything on, on, on it. So I was like, this is amazing. You know, I can actually support somebody that's starting from scratch. And um, I like the work she's doing and, and what she did was quite, um, it was quite raw and authentic and actually really enjoyed that, enjoyed, enjoyed the, the way she did it. So yeah, that was the, that was the way. And I think, I guess one thing I would say, say is that I'm making it sound easy and it is not, it as is generally quite easy, easy to get someone, but I think there's generally um, some work to be done, obviously, in actually making sure you find the right person. Um, Cause there'll be plenty of people on there, but what's great about the site is it does give you um ratings and things as well for people but that was my first you know my first sort of start was yeah was getting it all illustrated yeah so you had this sort of the, this voice this calling saying hey you know it's time you know do this and then you ignore it and then you know th that voice doesn't go away there, there's a persistence there um and and then you you put everything into motion um how important was it for you to get the encouragement of of other people after you started sharing that video to just tell me about the role encouragement played there. Oh, I think it was huge. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've, um, that I realized, um, in this whole journey was actually that I never believed I could write anything. So prior to, to, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I was knocked off course, um, 
you know, back in 2010, obviously other things were going on around that time, but it's also the fact that I think I didn't really believe that I could. And so, um, but for somebody for to be in a group of authors that say to me, you can do it. I was like, these are people that are, you know, they've written books and they're saying to me, you've got a story. This is a good story. You can share this. Uh, people would, would, you know, want to, would want to hear this then. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I think there's two aspects of that for me. One is the sharing of it in the first place, because that can be a scary thing. It can be a challenge. You go off and share it, what they're going to say. And that was, that was kind of what's holding me back as well. But actually by sharing it, then I got the feedback and yeah, it was a massive driver. I mean, it really, it really got me to believe I could do this. And, and I, and I just, I was <laughs> from that point on, I was just like headlong into, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this and get it done. And as I progressed, um, it also meant I was around a group of people that when I got stuck, if I didn't know about a particular thing, I'd go back to them and say, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, so having the community of knowing that people were already going to, were going to encourage me and support me was, was huge. Yeah. I mean, there are just two things to pick up on there. I mean, number one, um, you know, being vulnerability, you know, because you do make yourself vulnerable when you share your, when you share anything, I mean, especially creatively, but you know, putting your book in front of people who don't know you, you know, it takes a, a fair amount of courage because you don't know what the feedback's going to be. Nobody asked you to, to write this book. Um, so you do have to make yourself vulnerable there. But, but also, and, and this is a theme that comes up with, with a lot of authors I talk to, you know, both independently published authors, as well as, you know, people who, who have big names. Um, it's this imposter syndrome, you know, they feel like, you know, why, why would somebody read something that I did? Um, you know, I'm no good. This is really not who I am. I never thought that this would be my career path, but, um, you know, over time, I think you, you chip away at that when you have the encouragement of other people, when you have that community around you, it's, it's so incredibly important. Um, I mean, really for, for authors to have encouragement and community. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I think actually it's, it's interesting what you said about that. It happens to um, people. I was talking about somebody the other day was talking about speaking uh, and they were saying that every single time they've done maybe a thousand times, they've done it every single time. There's that shred of doubt. There's that little bit of, you know, or doubt that creeps in and actually they're saying it isn't, it's not about that. That ever is ever going to go to go away. But actually, as you say, having a community around you, having that support of others that encourage you having, um, you know, people that actually have already responded and said that, Oh yeah, actually I'm really enjoying reading. When is your, when is your next thing going to be? And yeah, the, it is a challenge. It's a challenge to be vulnerable, to be open to people. And, and I think there is a, there's an important factor about how you choose that. I think, um, you know, with social media these days, I think, yeah, you know, if, you, if you're really able to, then sharing it widely is, is great. However, I would definitely say to people, you know, start with the people that do actually, you know, are going to want to encourage you and, and actually you know, build it up from there because, you know, yeah, like you say, you know, it can be a vulnerable thing, but you put it out there widely and then somebody, somebody gives you a, you know, a negative comment or, um, but yeah, I would definitely start off with those that, and then that particular group, having seen the posts people are making, you could already, already see that it was an encouraging group. So you knew that people weren't going to just, um, you know, they would definitely give you advice, but also, you obviously want the critical as aspect as well. If there's something you do need to sort out, I mean, the story, the flapping whiskers, even though it's, it's only a short story, but actually the amount of editing I ended up doing between that, the, the original recording in 2010 to the ver to the version that uh, was published was quite a lot and surprisingly so. And so I think yeah, there was definitely work to be done. So it was that encouragement. It wasn't, but it wasn't ready. It wasn't perfect, but it was, 
it was the start of the journey. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, having gone through this journey yourself, you're now, you know, looking to help, you know, other people, um, you know, kind of express their untold stories as, as, uh, as your bio put it. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, are, are you a, a coach for, for other people? Just tell me a little bit more about how you're helping people sort of uh, get the word out about, about uh, their work. Well, yeah. So, so I think um, I mentioned that I'd, so I'd actually part of my kind of uh, journey is back in 2010, I was, I was, um, you know, I was coaching people and it's actually something that I'd kind of put a little bit on the side, went back to the full-time job. Um, and it's been over the last, last few years that that's come back to the, the forefront again of, um, of realizing actually, yeah, whenever I find myself in a situation where I've taken a journey, then it becomes something that I want to help other people with. And this particular journey of really, um, for me, it's about helping people to believe they're good enough. And I think that that is the, the really the key turning point is once somebody people can understand. So that's really what I look to do is to help people that that really that first step is to, uh, well, not the first step, but like the actual goal is to, them to go, right, you know, I'm actually good enough to do this because the rest of it, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of materials, there's plenty of people that um, can support people in actually going through the actual technical aspects, you know, whether it is going to a publisher, whether it is doing self-publishing, but it is, but it's the mindset is getting to that, that point where you're saying, actually, I can overcome that. So um, what I like to do with people is just take them through that journey, which is, as I said, about sharing it is actually about making sure that you're um, in part of a community, which I call bridging the gap. So to, to taking you from the point of saying, well, actually, I'm ready to do this now. I've shared it. I've got the encouragement, but I don't want to fall into the pit that everybody else falls into. So actually, I work with people that can help me to you know, bridge the gap, create a bridge that I can go over to the other side, follow the journey they've taken. Because we don't need to reinvent everything ourselves. We can, um, you know, we can actually we can actually take the path other people have taken, and therefore learn from their mistakes rather than, um, you know, falling the same problems they did. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like so you you came back to coaching after a while. What 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 was your day job like? How were you earning a living? Oh well, so so um, well, IT. So I've, I did IT for many years, and then moved into e-commerce. Uh, so building websites, um, doing graphics and uh, videos. So it's one of the things I've, I do quite enjoy. I enjoy doing my vi uh, videos on YouTube and yeah, and podcasts. So I love the technology. So that's the thing that really, um, really gets me excited about things. And that's something else that, um, you know, I sort of, uh, I talk to people about as well is, is the fear of technology because it's another thing. It's another common thing. And it, it does tie in with the not being good enough because ultimately, I mean, it, it does feel some, it does obviously feel like to a lot of people like it's a lot and, and it is ever changing. And, um, but the great thing about, um, yeah, a lot of it is, again, it comes back to the mindset. It comes back to actually, it may not, you're never going to be the expert. You're never going to be, nobody can, I've, I've been doing IT for, for 25 years and I'm not an expert. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good and I've been doing a lot of areas and I can do a lot of things, but you know, in a few weeks time, you know, a new, a new version of something's come out or, you know, or a new technology has come out and there's, there's a whole nother um, level to learn. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of breaking it into smaller chunks. That's what I feel like helps the people. It's that if we want to get, if we've got a wall in front of us that we want to, we want to get over, it's actually kind of how do we build the steps up to get over it rather than trying to leap over the wall in one, you know, pulver over in one go. So I think that's what, 
I find helps people is to let's break it down. What's the first thing we can do to get you on the next part of the journey? Yeah. So did it ever cross your mind or, or when did it cross your mind that, Hey, maybe I could make a living helping other people. Um, it, you know, in addition to, to supporting yourself, you know, I always call it the day job because so many authors, I mean, all have day jobs too, right? It's, it's very few can actually fully make a living as, as an author. Um, but um, did you ever see this as your career path at all? Like what, when you were younger, like in high school or college, like, did you ever, you know, think that this could, could be the path you'd wind up on? Uh, no, not really. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I start, I mean, I, I always loved gadgets and IT. So I thought I'd have a gadget shop. That was always my, my kind of I remember thing when I was a teenager, right, I'm going to have a shop. So I was always interested in the whole selling, um, selling in a shop. And, and then when, when, when I got into website, selling on a website, that type of thing. Um, but no, no, not in mean, the writing aspect, not at all. So, so, so that to me is almost a little joke. I feel like it's a little joke to me. It's like, oh yeah, actually to be helping other people in taking a journey in writing to me is just completely off the wall. Um, I think coaching wise, um, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I did have people say to me, you've got an old head on young shoulders, <laughs> which, which is 17. Not, I, I thought was a bit of an insult, but I realized as I got older, I was like, oh, actually, I get, I see what you're saying. People would come to me and just tell me their life stories. And so I realized there was definitely something going on where people were feeling comfortable with. And, and actually somehow, you know, I was able to use my own life experience. So yeah, they did take a journey in, um, in doing that. And actually the, the journey of going into coaching just happened because I was working with somebody in, um, in the RT company I was working for. And, uh, I, he was a new, new snow guy. He just joined and I was like, Oh, I just, I'll be nice to the new guy. And I go and ask him a question or two, you know, just, just, and I said to him, Oh, you know, and I'd heard somebody say, helps people give up smoking. Now I never smoked, but I was, but I go and ask him about it. And then he was the one that was talking to me about uh, NLP and how he was running this course in, in, uh, in a few months. And so it all kind of stemmed from, um, from that really. And it wasn't something that I'd even really thought of before, but once, I think once you start working with people, once you see the results, then yeah, it's it's just such an amazing, amazing feeling to see that you've been part of helping somebody on a journey, helping equip them to the next step, because you don't know what they're going to do and who they're going to help. And so it's, it's, you know, you can give so little and yet so much could come out of it. Yeah. I remember I went through a big NLP phase, um, back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know, one of my, uh, well, my, my primary, uh, job is I run, you know, market research focus groups um, all over the U.S. And, and so much of NLP or a lot of NLP is understanding how to build rapport with people. Um, and typically by doing it through, you know, visual actions, but also, of course, through language. So I was really trying to really, you know, become a better interviewer, become a better moderator. Um, so I started reading a lot of the early books on, on NLP and I remember like Tony Robbins back in the day was really big into NLP. I mean, some of his first, his first couple of books, I want to say were all about, you know, the, the, the principles of NLP, but then, you know, how to apply them to, to business, um, you know, into, into selling and, and stuff like that. But it's, I, I find it to be fascinating, just this, the way we can string different words together to different people um, to try and get, you know, some kind of desired reaction. I know I'm, 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 really watering it down by saying it that way but it's it, it is fascinating to me oh it is well it's amazing it's it's actually i mean well yeah i mean tony robbins is a great example of somebody that uses it's a massive effect 
I mean, you know, a lot of people that you'll see that can engage an audience of thousands, tens of thousands in one room is 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 because, like you say, they're they're building rapport, you know, they're, and they're they're doing that in, in the things they're doing. They're getting people to engage with them in interactive activities, and it's actually yeah, it is you know, it's actually quite amazing and um, quite a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, I do have some fun questions for us. Um, again, these are all to try and get to uh, get to know my guests as uh, as the people they are. And uh, one way to do that is uh, asking about pop culture. So I'm uh, curious, Sean, uh, when you were younger, what were some of your favorite TV shows? Uh, think about your childhood, favorite oh, okay. TV shows, if you have any. Um, oh, I've got lots of, lots of, um, that's my last question. Isn't it? <laughs> like, which one? Which one do you pick? But I. But think, you, you, it doesn't have to be your favorite. Used, Maybe just a I couple of your love, favorites. Well, I think I used to. I used to. I mean, um, I used to love things like Happy Days. Um, you know, some of the some of those kind of uh, you know, those shows like that, and some of the. Uh, yeah, it's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Happy Day and the Fonz and and uh, you know, oh, the Fonz. You know, nothing better and nothing cooler than the Fonz. I, and I I love Henry Winkler. Even to this day, he's great on this. Um, this new show, not new show, but the, the recent show, Barry on HBO, very dark, a very dark comedy, but he's fantastic. And, but I remember um, as a kid, I had a picture of the Fonz over my bed. I probably shouldn't admit that, but I just thought he was like the coolest, the coolest thing on two legs, you know, the, the whole jacket. I didn't even know what a greaser was, or I didn't, I didn't really understand the cultural context. I just thought he was this cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think I always wanted to, you always wanted the leather jacket, and I think, um, <laughs> but I think other 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 shows. I mean, I, you know, I loved like things like you know, Knight Rider and the A Team. I actually probably a couple of years ago, I watched the whole of the A Team again, and I was actually I really enjoyed it. I was one of the, really? I, I thought I thought oh, it's going to be so dated, and yeah, you know, you, you it is it was a bit, but actually it was still it was still really enjoyable. And- the, the one thing about the A Team is, um, first of all, they always get away, which I think is amazing. But they always break Murdoch out of a mental hospital, which I, I, I don't know how like the staff doesn't really improve the security measures because they're always able to get him out. But the big question is, you know, B.A. Baracus, he always falls for the milk, you know, the milk, <laughs> the drug in the milk, you know, to get him on the plane because he's always like, I ain't going on no plane. Um, I, how does he fall for it every episode? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. Well, he falls for it. He falls for it, and then he's like, "Okay, you know." He sort of gets a bit angry about it, and he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll, I'll, you know, I'll forgive you guys until the next yeah, the, time." The, the, the one I'd add to that uh, wonderful list of TV shows. Um, did you did you ever see The Greatest American Hero? No. It was on around the same time. It like premiered, you know, right when Knight Rider, and um, but it was about this guy who who finds a um, like aliens come down, and they give him like a, a Superman suit, basically. But they, uh, he loses the instruction manual, so he doesn't know how to like use everything in the suit, and and every episode is just one like mistake after another. But that you know, I had to, I had to ask because I remember they debuted like around the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's one of the downsides. You know, well, I mean, it's amazing actually. These days, you can get almost any every show from anywhere. Um, but obviously, yeah. But back then, we didn't all get all the always get all of the uh, the shows. The other one actually that I really loved as well was MacGyver. Again, it was, oh, it's never God, it was so good. Similar, it's very similar to the A team, isn't it? There was some somehow there was always enough stuff for him to make what he needed to make. So. There was an episode of MacGyver, where, and I'm not, I, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, he finds the Holy Grail. Um, he finds the Holy Grail, and 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 the key to finding the Holy Grail is, 
is playing Ring Around the Rosie. Uh, <laughs> just that episode will forever stand out in my mind uh, of MacGyver, but it's, it's a wonderful show. Uh, all right, moving on from uh, from TV. How about this? Artists on your playlists. Who do you uh, who do you listen to? Who are your, some of your favorite musical artists? Oh, well, actually, well, it sort, of, it sort of changed over the years. When I became Christian, I listened to a lot of worship songs. So um, I do like a lot of Matt Redman, Matt Redman's. He's actually from Watford. So so I was actually at his church, the church that he, he uh, sort of started out on on, that, on that, his journey um, just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he got great growing up, you know, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I was a big Bon Jovi fan. Um, yeah, opposite movies, side of the so. spectrum there. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I, I, I like yeah, you know, yeah, lots of different music. But I think yeah, I think I do like the the rock. Uh, I mean, I used to, I grew up on like a lot of Elvis. My dad used to play Elvis Beatles. So um, you know, I do love some Elvis and Beatles as well. Or, you know, you can combine the Christianity and the hard rock and listen to Striper. I mean, that's that that would be valid. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a band don't you call them called Theocracy. A uh, friend of mine, they're like really heavy metal. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, I remember. Like, I, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say there was. Um, I was I used to have ringtone on my phone for years with this, of this guitar solo, and and I didn't, you know, I was like, oh yeah, it's guitar. So I just like liked it, liked it as a ringtone. It wasn't until later on I became a Christian. Then I was listening to some of the music, and I don't know, and then I heard this guitar solo, which is by, by Petra, which you know, Christian Christian band, and I didn't I didn't know. So that was like oh, these years of years I've listened to this uh, guitar solo. So. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, you know a couple times, um, sort of converting to Christianity, becoming a Christian. Uh, w- would you uh, mind sharing your conversion story? Or like, when did this happen, and 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 how did it happen? Okay, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll try and summarize it. It's quite like <laughs> Sorry, there's, there's, there's there's a lot of elements to it, but um, but basically, so I mean, I I grew up um, so I was about six or seven. We used to go to church, and then we stopped going to church. So I I had you know I, I used to go to summer school. So there was there was kind of an element of I knew about God and then I became a then you know became a teenager and you know and you know as a teenager I still prayed for a bit more as a teenager but you know God wasn't answering the questions about meeting girls and and sort of things so I kind of <laughs> so that for me that for me was kind of it really it was like you know yeah there may be a God out there but that was it and then so um then kind of come forward to uh 2000 and it's a lot of 10 2010 a lot of things happened in 2010 2011 and um, I, uh, I ended up being in a play. So this is another kind of, uh, sort of sort of random thing in my life. Like for my first time in life as an adult, I was in a play called The Southwark Mysteries, which uh, was about Jesus. And then I came out of that and ended up in a musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, a local musical. And then I was in a choir in a, in a church. And, um, but then all of these, they're not, those, all those things were happening. But then the, the split with my ex-wife happened. So kind of that. So it was almost like a point at which maybe I was getting closer to, to that, but then I was off again. And then in 2016, a friend of mine in, um, invited me up to uh, Edinburgh Fringe. So um, she lived in Aberdeen. So I went to Aberdeen. We we uh, drove up there and she we went to one church. I was like, okay. And then she was like, oh, I want to go to church this evening as well. I was like, okay, I'll choose a church. And and so I, I chose uh, this church called Destiny. Um, and then we went to this church and... Uh, yeah, I um, I was just sort of she'd been talking to me about Jesus, and I was kind of like, okay, and and when I got there, I just I don't know something was something was happening. I just as I was approaching the church, I was like, oh, you know, this is um, 
I actually sort of skipped over a bit. I'll just jump back a little bit. So 2013, a friend sent me to church, sent me to a local church, a vineyard church. And she, uh, and I was sitting there and the, uh, I was sitting quite, it's quite a big church. I was sitting quite far back. And then the, uh, the preacher was talking something about, and he said, there's somebody here that, um, that needs to know that Jesus loves him. And he looked straight at me and it was, I was really far back. And I was like, how did he, how did he look straight at me? And, oh, so I just know it's my, it's my power. Uh, yes. So, um, yeah, so, the, so he looked straight at me and, and that just really kind of freaked me out. And I just completely, I just burst into tears. I was just like really, really, uh, I suppose I was a bit scared. I didn't know what was going on. I was really upset. I was emotional. I didn't know what was going on with me. And, um, and then somebody, I went to go out, I went out to out the auditorium and somebody actually sat me down and I had a chat with me and it's like, oh, you know, and prayed for me. And so I, you know, so at that point I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I was kind of considering what it would be like to, like to go to get close to God again. But again, it didn't happen. And I mentioned that, that particular bit because in 2016, when I was walking to this church, I started getting nervous that it was going to happen again. So I was like, oh no, I feel like I've got this feeling that this thing's going to happen again. That happened before. And um, so we got into the church and we sat, sat a couple of hours from the front and I sat down and then the pastor, Sammy, said, um, oh, I've got this image. And I thought, oh, no, it's going to say something. It's going to resonate. It's going to like hit me. And I'm like, oh, no. And I was, I was getting stressed, getting quite stressed. And then he said, oh, um, I've got this picture of a flower. And I was like, oh, so I just relaxed. I was like, oh, it's going to be nothing to do with me. It's a flower. And then he um, and he said, oh, we and he goes, oh, yeah, it's like somebody's pulling the flower says does he love me does he love me not and and that was it <laughs> that was it hit me and the fun gates I, open yeah i know yeah and, and I, I was sobbing and it was for me it felt like god was reaching his hand inside my chest pulling out all the pain and then filling it with love and i knew it was god because it happened before i, I was like yeah, this time the first time i know what's going on this time i was like okay god is here and you know, things are happening so that was you know that was kind of the uh, uh yeah the start of it for me and um yeah and i yeah it was it was uh it was it was that was six years ago now so i kind of uh, it feels like a still feels quite fresh but it's still it's still sort of yeah it's been a yeah. journey since then i mean definitely a similarity to you know getting the book published because you know you were receiving a, a message saying hey now it's time to to do something with this and to share it and you ignore it a bit and then the, the persistence doesn't stop so there's a there's a theme of persistence um that 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 i'm picking up on here um, but thank you for sharing that, uh, that story. Um, back to, uh, back to my list of, uh, silly questions. Um, this one's actually not so silly. Um, what, what lesson about, uh, publishing do you feel like you learned the hard way kind of going through that, the, the publishing process with, um, with the first book, what, what did you, what did you think you learned the hard way? Uh, well, I mentioned about the ed editing. So I think I, I underestimated, um, the editing. So I think, you know, I, I, I pretty much did it with myself and a few other friends and yeah, it would, I, I think I would definitely would, would want to engage an editor the, the uh, next time. But the other thing is um, the marketing, the actual, you know, having a plan. So I didn't have a plan, you know, I'd, I'd like, right, I've got it. I'm not going to go and get this straight. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it published. And I did all these things. And then, then I realized that there's an element of uh, successfully uh, getting actually good sales, sales, then you really should be having a plan that it's about two months in advance of your publishing date. But that was the time I took to actually get the book done. So, 
there was an element where I should have spent, you know, I should have spent some time actually formulating a plan. So before, um, you know, actually the, the publication of it. So that was something that I was quite a difficult, I think, you know, it was difficult to sort of throw myself in there, get it all done and, and not get as many sales initially as I was, as I was kind of um, hoping to get. Um, I mean, actually I did crowdfund it as well. So I used Kickstarter, um, which was, uh, which is really good. It was really, it was, so I did do some marketing. That was my marketing machine, but I realized that, yeah, yeah, there was more, there was more to have done. So I think definitely the thing I found the hardest was, was actually that I'd almost, I skipped a step, which yeah. kind of, uh, and that's one of the things that I feel like I want to be able to help people with is to help them take the steps in the right sequence, because it just makes life harder when you're, you know, when you're trying to then build your sales up from that point, you can still do that, but you've kind of, you've missed what is, you know, there's a kind there's a window um, that you get with Amazon where you can really, where you can hit that, that, um, that bestseller, uh, even if it's only a brief period of time with, if you get your sales within a certain period of time. And so actually, yeah, that was one of the things, but now I learned that afterwards. So that's, you know, it's all good lessons because I'm not, you know, this is, an ongoing journey, you know, there's going to be more flapping whiskers and, yeah. um, and, you know, and, uh, with my wife, we're going to, we're going to be doing a, a relationship book. So we've got, uh, something else that we're going to come with. Well, so this, it, so that's the, that's what's been amazing actually, that as we spoke about that, not only this one book, but, and that's what I hope for other people is not just to help them overcome it. So they write a book, but actually become, you know, they're able to then open up other areas, other things that they can do. So now, I mean, I could never expected to have written one book, let alone have, you know, probably 10, 15, 20, yeah. 20 or more ideas of things that I want to do um, in that area. Well, I mean, there is a sharp learning curve. And, but once you, once you learn all these lessons and, and so, many of them, so many of them, you do learn the hard way, especially when you're doing everything yourself, um, it'd be a shame to waste them and not either A, share them with others or apply them to your future work, which it sounds like you, uh, you're doing. Um, Last up, uh, if you could write your younger self a letter, you know, the, the, the younger Sean Phillips, um, you know, pick an age, uh, maybe pick an age where you were feeling, uh, you know, like you were questioning life or uh, uncertain about things. What words would the, would Sean Phillips today, you know, share with uh, the younger Sean? Um, well, I think it's, you mentioned that persistence, but I think I would say um, it's sort of around that theme, but I would, I would talk, I'd talk to myself about perseverance. I would, I would say stick it, stick out the things that you love to do. Um, I feel like at that age, I think I gave up on a lot of things quite easily. Um, and, you know, I actually, I'm naturally interested in lots of things. So that I, and I'm aware of that now being older, but certainly I say to my younger self, you know, you've got plenty of time. So stick the, the, the things a bit longer, particularly a guitar. So, I mean, I, I've, um, you know, since becoming Christian, I've been on worship bands. So I've had a more of a reason, a focus to, to learn to uh, improve my guitar, but I've been doing that for, for a long time on and off. And so certainly that would be one area I'd say, right, stick at the guitar, you know, stick at the dancing lessons, stick at the, you know, whatever it is that I'm, I'm kind of looking at. Uh, my younger brother was very good. Um, he's quite sporty and he was very good at, right. Okay. He was going to learn to do pogo stick and he would, he would just be doing it relentlessly until he was really good, wherever it was, roller skating, right, I'm going to do it relentlessly, I'm going to fall over, I'm going to get up and, uh, you know, and actually, yeah, I'd say to myself, yeah, stick out the things that you love doing. Um, and even when it's tough, because you do get those times, anything you learn, you're going to get, you're going to plateau, you're going to get times when you're like, oh, 
I'm not making as much progress, um, but you'll get there in the end. Yeah. So Sean, if, uh, if there's someone out there listening to this who wants to get in touch with you, uh, do you have a website, social media that you want to share with everybody? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on social media, um, Sean Unlocking. So it's S-H-A-U-N Unlocking. And also on my website, which is seanphillips.co. Okay, very good. And where can people buy uh, the first Flappy and Whiskers uh, book? Well, so, yeah, it's on Amazon. So whichever country country in you go on to Amazon, you can buy Flappy and Whiskers uh, from there. And it, there's... It's, unav- it's available in many, many books, um, shops as well, but certainly Amazon is an easy way to do it. And um, on the subject of the, uh, the website, I do have a, a video on there as well. So there is a, a, a free webinar um, about being good enough. So actually helping people to overcome and be a, what I call be a fearless author, um, which, uh, yeah, and, and that's a, yeah, somebody goes to the website, there's a, there's a link on there. Where they can sign up and uh, get that free webinar, which I hope will bless some people as well. Very good. Well, Sean, thank you so much uh, for stopping by, uncorking a story, and then letting me uncork your yeah, uncork your story. Yeah, it's been it's been, it's been really yeah, it's been really brilliant. I've actually really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.